right along in our study. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 9 this week. We've taken a bit of a leap, but we're working our way through the, uh, the story of our redemption from the beginning of pages of Scripture to the end. We are not going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, but we will come back and do that once this series is over. Now we are uh, entering into uh, the conversion of the Apostle Paul, who is known as Saul in our story, and there's a bit of an um, extension taking place here in our text. God is extending his salvation further into uh, the world. So let's read it together in uh, verses 1 through 19. These are the words of the living God. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he might, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer For the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you might, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for gathering us once again to worship together. And now we come to that time where we are instructed by your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would instruct us today in the ways that you would have us to be instructed, that you would remove um, any distraction from our midst, that you would help us to stay focused and attentive to the things that you are saying. By your spirit, would you speak to our hearts and work the applications of this message that are necessary into our lives for our good and for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
I don't know if any of you saw the uh, video going around social media this week of uh, the pastor who is um, in the midst of a sermon, or he's just beginning a sermon, and then a baby begins to cry uh, in the congregation, and he literally stops the sermon, and he tells the ushers uh, to take that woman and her crying baby to uh, the cry room, which is, it's really hard to watch. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's cringeworthy, <laughs> to say the least, and it really is uh, uncomfortable. But for that woman who he called out in the midst of the congregation with her crying child, uh, it must have been even more uncomfortable. And I think that what that pastor did was totally wrong-headed. Uh, it was out of line. We should never treat uh, children in our congregation in that uh, way. Children are a precious gift to us from our Lord, and it is good to have them here with us. Even if they are crying, that is a good thing. It is a sign of life. It's a sign of vitality. It's a sign of energy, and we should bless God for it. Now, that woman and her child were made to feel uncomfortable for all of the wrong reasons. And today, in our text, we're going to see that sometimes God makes us feel uncomfortable for all the right reasons. So two things in our text today that I want to focus on, very simple, two points. Uh, Number one, when God calls us, he changes our life and direction, and at times, that can be uncomfortable. Changes our life and direction, and at times, that can be uncomfortable. Number two, when God calls us, he calls us to serve, and at times, that will make us uncomfortable. Okay, so looking at that first point, uh, when God calls us, he changes our life and direction, and at times that can be uncomfortable in verses 1 through 9. Uh, let's read that again together. We'll start uh, with just verses 1 and 2, though, and we'll work our way through it, okay? So back in verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here we are introduced to a man by the name of Saul. What has been happening in the book of Acts prior to this encounter that Jesus has with Saul? Well, the disciples have went out and they have began to preach the gospel in those places that Jesus called them to preach it. But if you remember... Uh, they've gone to Jerusalem, they've even been in Samaria, but Jesus said that they were going to go beyond Samaria, even to the end of the earth. And here in our text today, we see that Jesus is beginning to extend that salvation further into the world, and he decides to do it through a young man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who, by the way, later on comes to be known as Paul the Apostle. Okay, So Saul and Paul same person. Now, the church had begun to experience persecution as a result of their preaching of the gospel. Uh, As a matter of fact, just prior to this, uh, Stephen was uh, uh, confronting the religious leaders of the day about their hypocrisy and blindness, and that resulted in his martyrdom. And the men who put him to death, the men who stoned Stephen, Before they do it, they lay down their jackets at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. Now, why do they do this? 
Well, because Saul is an authority figure in, uh, among these Jews who are being persecuted in the early uh, church. And so uh, Saul is somebody who is sort of leading the charge, as it were. The text tells us that he was there and he was consenting to Stephen's execution. And later on in his testimony, he will tell us that he would take men and women and drag them off bound to Jerusalem where they would be put on trial and executed. And when it was his time to vote as to whether or not they were going to live or die, he would give the thumbs down to have these people executed. And here we see he goes and he gets letters from the chief priest so that he can continue doing this thing in Damascus. Right? So he goes to the chief priest and he gets letters that gives him permission to take any who were of the way, that is, any Christians that he found there, bound off so that they could be put on trial and executed. Uh, Paul would consider these people to be blasphemers. Okay? Paul was a very religious man. Something you need to understand about Paul is that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was a religious zealot, and he was even willing to persecute uh, the church for the sake of his God because he believed that these people were heretics, right? Because they were following this man, Jesus, instead of the Yahweh that he knew. And so he made it his aim in life to destroy them. He made it his aim to snuff out any uh, residue that was left of the man, Jesus Christ, in the world to completely obliterate the Christian faith altogether. Uh, But he had another thing coming, (laughs) as we'll see in our text today. It's kind of interesting. This is what he's on a mission to do, Uh, and he has this encounter with Jesus and everything changes. Look at verse 3 with me, if you would. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they, so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now I want you to notice something about our text today that is just striking, and that is when Saul went down the road to Damascus that day, he was not looking for Jesus. That is, he was not looking to be saved by Jesus. As a matter of fact, he wanted to snuff out any residue that was left of the man uh, named Jesus Christ from the world, but God had other plans. He even had, if you were to check him, letters that gave him authority to persecute Christians in this way. Uh, He was given permission by the high priest to do so, but God had other plans. Jesus intended to save this man and use him to exalt his name in the world. Here Paul is thinking that he is going to persecute some Christians that day when he goes down to Damascus, and he ends up becoming a Christian. Did you get that? He's on his way to take Christians and have them executed, and he becomes a Christian. What gives? How does that happen? Right? 
This, my friends, is nothing but the sovereign grace of God in salvation. The text tells us that the light shone from heaven around Saul, and he heard a voice. See, God directly intervenes in the life of this man, Saul, and he gives direct revelation of himself to him through the person of Jesus Christ. The God that he thought that he was serving is actually the God that he's been persecuting all along. Saul is this religious zealot. He thinks he's serving Yahweh, but he's been persecuting him because Jesus confronts him today on the road as God, the God-man, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, because in persecuting the church, uh, Paul, uh, Saul at this time was actually persecuting uh, Jesus Christ. And when Saul realized that the God that he thought he was serving all along was the God that he was warring against, he was broken. The text says that he fell down before him, and that is most likely on his face, and he said, who are you, Lord? And I think here at this moment, Saul is coming to a realization of who Jesus really was. The one that he thought was Lord all along was actually Jesus, and this Jesus is the one that he's been persecuting. And with this revelation, the text tells us Paul was blinded, and then he goes on a fast for three days afterwards. He doesn't eat any food or take any drink. He probably needed three days just to process everything that happened to him, right? Now, this is um, every one of our salvation experiences, if you think about it. Um, whether you were converted as a little child, a baby, or as an adult, uh, nevertheless, the Bible says that we are all enemies of God from birth. We read that this morning in our text, right, in Romans. We are enemies of God, and we've been reconciled. We are all born in sin, and as such, we are alienated from fellowship with God from the very beginning. And in our sin, we are warring against him, okay? We are not, prior to our salvation, looking for Jesus. We are not interested in Jesus. We are not pursuing Jesus. The Bible says that nobody seeks after God. No one does good. No, not even one. So in our sin, we're not looking for God. But then God intervenes in our lives, as he did here in our text today with Saul on the road to Damascus, and he makes us his. And then everything changes, right? Whether you're, like I said, whether you're a little baby or a child and you're brought into the covenant community, God regenerates you and makes you his. It's the same story. We're all born in sin and we are all rebels against God from birth. Now, for some of us, the story of our conversion may not be as dramatic as others. Uh, Depending on uh, what your context is like when you get saved and how long you've been in rebellion against God, that's going to determine what your salvation story looks like. But nevertheless, all of us are headed on down that road to destruction from the very beginning, like Saul. 
And then God intervenes in our lives miraculously by his sovereign grace, and he gives us eyes so that we can see Jesus for who he truly is, and ears so that we can hear his voice. This is what it means to be saved by grace. We, we sung this morning about being saved by grace and grace alone. That's what it means to be saved by grace. That God enters into your life. He stops you in your tracks, as it were, and gives you a heart for him. A heart for Jesus Christ. He takes out our heart of flesh uh, of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. That is a heart that beats for him, that's interested in him, that will follow him, that will serve him, that will hear him, that will listen to him. God does that. Um, Saul knew this very, very well. He knew, obviously, uh, what it meant to be saved by grace, and so should we. I mean, think about Saul for a moment. He's going to persecute some Christians that day, and at the end of the day, he's a Christian. <clears throat> Another parallel between Paul's story and our own is the fact that Paul planned on going down the road to persecute some Christians that day, as I've said, and he ended up becoming one. He ended up doing the exact opposite of the thing that he planned on doing. Did you get that? He ended up doing the exact opposite of the thing that he planned on doing, and many times as Christians, you will find that to be the case. Whenever God calls you, the whole trajectory of your life changes and you become a different person. Um, <clears throat> I never thought that I would have been a pastor. If you would have asked me a little over 12 years ago if I would have been a pastor today, I would have laughed at you. But God has a funny way sometimes of rearranging people's lives and plans. Uh, before I was a Christian, I didn't like Christians. I didn't like the church. I didn't want anything to do with the church. I didn't want to be a part of the church, let alone a leader in the church. But now all I want is the church. I love the church. The church is my family. And that's just the way it is. Uh, When you become a Christian, you want the things of God. You uh, want to be with the people of God, in relationship with the people of God, worshiping with the people of God, doing things that Christians do. Because that's what Christians do. And if you hate Christians, you don't anything to do with Christians, well, then you're not a Christian. It's plain as that. It's, it's what the Bible teaches. <clears throat> it basically comes down to this. When you become a Christian, you end up doing some things that you never would have thought you would have done, or you may end up giving up some things that you never would have thought that you would have been able to give up. Again, you become a different person. And again, for some people, that may be more gradual. If you were brought up in the church and you were converted very young, it's a much more gradual process. But for others, it may be radical if you were converted out of an out-and-out pagan life later on like I was. But nevertheless, those who are truly converted are a different person than they once were. That's the point. They are a different person than they once were with a different direction in life. Namely, you become a servant of Jesus Christ. Okay? So when God calls us, he changes our life and direction, and at times, that can be uncomfortable. Number two, when God calls us, he calls us to serve, and at times, that will make us uncomfortable. Look at verses 10 through 19. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. 
and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may, might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Excuse me. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, he regained, and he regained his sight, and then, then, he arose, then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Here we are introduced to another man to whom the Lord speaks in uh, a vision. Uh, but the difference between this man and the last man is that this man is already a convert, right? Uh, the, the text says that he was a disciple. That is, he was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the last man that we met was warring against Jesus, and he made him his servant. This man is a servant of Jesus, and as such, he serves him, but again, he's got another thing coming. God calls him to do the last thing that he would have expected him to, and that is to go and minister to Saul of Tarsus. Ananias is like, what? You want me to go minister to that guy? The guy who has been killing us? Right? you got to remember, Saul is on his way down to Damascus that day to take Ananias and his friends in town, bound in chains, off to Jerusalem where they will be put on trial and executed. And Ananias has heard about this and he is afraid. But I, I love the response of Ananias here. What does he say? <clears throat> Lord, here I am. Here I am. All right? That is, here I am ready to serve you. Jesus is essentially telling Ananias here, I'm going to make this man an instrument, a vehicle in which I will bring the gospel to the whole world. He says, he's going to take my name and he is going to bear it before kings. He's going to bear it before Gentiles and the people of Israel. That's everybody, right? And Ananias is afraid because of everything that he knows about uh, this man prior, right? <clears throat> if Saul was a hitman, Ananias was on his hit list. But God says, go. I want you to go and minister to him anyway. Jesus is telling Ananias, I'm going to use him as a vehicle of blessing to the nations. And right here, Ananias is in a bit of a quandary. What, what should he do? Does he follow his fears and disobey uh, the Lord and run the risk of preventing the gospel from going into the world? I mean, this is his commission, right? He is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he's a disciple, he's supposed to be making disciples who in turn will go and make other disciples and take the gospel further into the world. But there's a high probability in the mind of Ananias from what he has seen and heard that this meeting's not going to end well for him. It's not going to go over good for him. <clears throat> but God says, do it anyway. 
Look at verses 17 through 19. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. I love that. The the text says Ananias departed and entered the house. No more waiting, no more contemplation, no more hesitation. He just goes in obedience to his Lord, as he told him to. And look at the faith that he has here. Uh, He refers to Saul as brother. Did you pick up on that in the text? And verse 17b, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He refers to him as brother. Two things are happening here when he does this. Number one, he is believing what God has said about this man to whom he has been called to minister. Uh, he is a chose, God says he's a chosen vessel of mine. He believes God and he acts Accordingly, Now again, this would take an incredible amount on Ananias' part. He has to believe that this man who was once persecuting the people that he loved, uh, that that man has now become his partner in the ministry. Moreover, he has to believe that no matter what happens, this is the will of God for his life, and he must obey it. Second, this is a confirmation to Saul that Ananias embraces him on behalf of the community. Uh, One thing you have to keep in mind is that all of the Christians were scared of Saul. And here is Ananias uh, embracing this man as a brother and extending the love and fellowship of the Christian community to him. And this is a man who must have been so disconcerted and so confused Uh, about who he was. I mean, if you put yourself in the shoes of the Apostle Paul for a second, here he is living his entire life thinking that he is serving the Lord, doing the things that are right and good, and now he finds out that everything he was doing was evil and wrong. This must have thrown him for a loop, to say the least. The last thing I want to mention is that Ananias said, the Lord sent him to Saul so that he might experience these things. The Lord sent him to Saul so that he might experience these things. Now, why does God doesn't just why doesn't he just heal this man immediately? Could, I mean, couldn't he have done that? Couldn't he have spoken the word from heaven and, and healed Ananias immediately? But yet, he sends Ananias to do it. Why does he do that? Well, because God has determined to work through means. God has determined to bring his blessings and his gifts to the nations through men. He uses vessels and instruments like Ananias and the Apostle Paul to bring his healing, to bring his gift, to bring his salvation to the world. So Ananias goes and he lays hands on Saul and he prays for him. Uh, And God determined here, as we see, to do the work through him. Saul is healed, the scales fall from his eyes. Now let me ask a question. Is there a connection here uh, between the healing of Ananias or excuse me, between the calling of Ananias and the calling of Saul. Well, yes, they are both called upon to do things that are contrary to what they would have normally done. They're called to do things that make them uncomfortable, and they're called to do things that most likely will entail suffering. And with certainty for the apostle Paul, Paul was told that he must suffer for Christ's sake. Uh, Paul had to take everything and leave it behind, 
his old life was left in the dust when he began to serve Christ, and everything changed for him. And Ananias had to do some things that made him incredibly uncomfortable and possibly would have led to his suffering, and it's the same for every one of us. We have to abandon some things if we want to serve Christ. Um, first of all, we have to abandon ourselves, and what I, what I mean by that is we have to abandon our uh, propensity to want to serve ourselves instead of Jesus Christ and other people. Ananias had to die to himself that day in order to go and witness to the Apostle Paul. It made him highly uncomfortable to have to do so, but he went and did it anyway. Right? And many times God is going to call upon us to do things that make us uncomfortable, but we have to do them anyway. And I just, I want to commend this church and some of the people in this church who I've seen step up over the last year to serve God uh, in ways that make them uncomfortable for the sake of Christ and kingdom. I want to commend you for that. I think it's great. I've seen a lot of you stepping up and do that, uh, to do that. But I just want to encourage you to press on, to, to keep doing that, to keep serving, to keep doing the things that you know God is calling you to do, even though they make you uncomfortable. <clears throat> think about Ananias. There is a possibility in the mind of this man that uh, the, the guy that he is calling, that God is calling him to minister to is going to kill him. Uh, but then he goes anyway. And a lot of times, I think in American evangelical Christianity, we just get too comfortable. Now, what are some of the things that uh, God is calling us to do? Some of the harder things, some of the more difficult things that God is calling us to do, but we're just not doing them. Well, one thing I'll mention is the fact that many people are big on going and doing these mission trips over in Africa or something like this and ministering to people that they've never met before, or people that they will never see again. Well, what about our neighbors that live right next door? Are we willing to go and talk to those people about the things of God, or are we too uncomfortable to do so? All right. For some people, God may just be calling you to do to to go deeper, to, to take the time that, it, uh, that it's going to take to study him, to learn him, to, to know him better, uh, to do the hard work of digging deep into the scriptures, to learn doctrine and theology, to compare scripture with scripture and go through the books of the Bible to see what the whole thing says about an issue that we're dealing with so that we know what we believe and why we believe it. For some of you, maybe God is just calling you to Go deeper, to dig deeper, and that makes you uncomfortable. For some people, it's just a matter of getting connected with the church. Uh, just being around other believers and doing stuff that other believers do together uh, is, uh, is an uncomfortable situation for some people, especially when they're first coming into the church. And one thing that we learn from Ananias is that he was willing to go out on a limb to make the brother Saul feel welcome when he came to the church, right? The text says he refers to him as brother Saul when he goes in. Then he lays hands on him and prays for him. And let me tell you, friends, this is important for us to get because the church is supposed to be a welcoming place and not an unwelcoming place, right? And a lot of times we can get uh, sort of... Uh, People have this mentality that the church is just snooty, that we're hypocritical, that we're judgmental, that we're always looking down our noses 
at people or that we're cold and indifferent. And brothers and sisters, this ought not to be uh, the case. <clears throat> God calls us to be a welcoming people. And when people come in here, they're dealing with all sorts of different uh, issues. We never know if they're dealing with brokenness uh, or pain or uh, if they're looking for truth and hope, or maybe they've been hurt by the church in the past and they just don't feel comfortable coming uh, into the church. Uh, you've got to think about the Apostle Paul here for a minute. Here is a man whose entire life had been flipped upside down and he needed some new friends. He needed a new home and he found that in the church and he found it through men like Ananias and later on Barnabas uh, who took him in. And that is what people who are, uh, who, that's what people are looking for. They're looking for a church uh, that is going to take them in like a mother and nurture them and love them and care for them and take them under their wing and say, look, you're one of us now. You're part of this family now and we love you. People need that and that's what they're looking for. And I'm not saying that this is an unwelcoming church. I've actually got the exact opposite response from people that they felt welcome here. They felt comfortable. There's a sense in which we can become too, uh, too overly welcoming to people as well. Uh, it can just make them feel uncomfortable, like everybody's attacking them all googly-eyed when they come in too, you know? You've got to be careful of that. Uh-uh. But a simple way that we can do this by welcoming people is just by making, uh, just connecting with them when they show up. Maybe if you see somebody who comes in who hasn't been here in a while or somebody that you don't know, go up and invite them out for coffee next, next week or out to lunch. Um, and if it's, a, if it's a younger person, maybe a 14 or 15-year-old, one of the younger boys, could, and it's a guy, they could go and invite him to hang out with friends. Or if it's an older woman, go hang out with the, the gals after church and have lunch or something, or a man, etc. You know? But people, people like that. They, they want to feel connected. They want to feel like you care about them. And so that's, that's a good way we can do that. And, we, and when we care for people and we care for and we're, we care about serving Jesus Christ, people notice. People notice that, but we've got to show them that we care. You see what I'm saying? <clears throat> because again, God could have brought this healing and restoration to Paul by speaking a word from heaven, but he didn't. He sent Ananias to do it, right? He sent a man to do it, <clears throat> and he sends us to do it. We are the means. Uh, we are the vehicle. We are the chosen instruments that God has uh, determined to use to bring his salvation to the world. And God is determined to do it. He's going to do it, and he's determined to use us to do it. We are his hands. We're his feet. We are his voice, his spokespeople. As uh, Paul Tripp says, we are instruments in the hand of the Redeemer. God uses us to do it. He uses means. And so we've got to do it. So in closing, we've seen that when God intervenes in our lives and radically saves us by his grace, he makes us into a different person. That is a person who is contrary to the person we once used to be. And sometimes, because of that, we will experience discomfort in our lives. Moreover, when God calls us, he calls us to serve. And sometimes he calls us to do things that make us uncomfortable. So let us, therefore, for the sake of uh, forsake comfort and pursue obedience for the sake of Christ and kingdom. For this is our calling, friends. This is our, uh, this is the way. <clears throat> Let's pray together.